1: Welcome to a new series of Between the Lines, the stories behind great sports writing. My name is Martin Gregg and in this first episode we take a deep dive into the publication of our most recent book, My Life, My Football by Andrei Shevchenko. We cover the origin story of how we acquired the title, why it's taken over three and a half years to get into the world, what it was like working with Shevchenko himself and his ghostwriter Alessandro Alciato, we talk about the cover of the book, the translation process, the publicity and plenty more. For this chat I'm joined by my Backpage business partner Neil White and the translator of the book Mark Palmer who also translated our books on Andrea Pirlo and Arigo Sacchi and listen out for the dulcet tones of the man himself Andrei Shevchenko. Enjoy! So let's start by talking about how and why we commission books. I think it's really useful to kind of lift the lid on the different elements that we need to exist before we greenlight a project. And I think in the case of My Life, My Football, Andrew Shepchenko, we should start with the subject. Sheva, Ballon d'Or winner, incredible footballer, great life story, really, really strong subject. In this case, we suspected that we were going to have access to him for publicity, which is another big tip for us. But I think first and foremost, all of these things can exist, but the project can't exist for us if the book isn't any good. And in these circumstances, our first port of call is always Mark Palmer. So Mark gets an email, a call from us to to really try and drill down into how strong the content is. You've had so many of these over the years, Mark. Not all of them land, but talk us through the first meeting you had with My Life, My Football, and the subsequent book report that, that
2: you produced for us? Well, first of all, it was kind of frightening to, to, to be reminded that it was, you know, three, three and a half years ago that that, that actually took place, and so much water under the bridge in all of our lives since then. Um, the first thing to say, and you, you've made the point there, which is really important, that not all of these land, there's been any number of ones that we've approached thinking, this could be really great, the subject sounds amazing, and then the book, for whatever reason, we just don't feel is one that would work, that either the, the, the subject matter isn't strong enough, not enough detail, insight, or the voice just doesn't quite capture what we want it to. It is, I think this one immediately uh, ticked all those boxes that you know, you're marrying a really strong career story with a really passionate and insightful style of storytelling um, and you know I think from a very early stage um, I reported back that this is one that, that, that we, we felt we'd have legs
1: I mean I remember you mentioning the word Chernobyl mm. which we weren't aware that this was part of his his upbringing uh, and then you talk about the early Kiev stuff and immediately you think this guy has got a real hinterland
2: 100% I mean you know, again like you I was vaguely aware of, of that part of his story but then to be confronted with it in such vivid terms, it literally in the very first page of the book, you know, being evacuated uh, w- w- when the, the reactor went off is, um, you know, is very literally arresting, isn't it? And it's, you know, it, it, in terms of ways to kind of draw in a reader in the first chapter of your book, I mean, I don't think you're going to get many more kind of bigger gut punches than that. So, um, and then, yeah, that that early part of of growing up in uh, behind the iron curtain, and then. Progressing both on and off the field. It, it, it's just there are so many things that, that, that tick boxes.
1: The second aspect that, that we were looking at when we saw this manuscript was the fact that it was ghostwritten by Alessandro Alciato, um famous Italian journalist who obviously ghostwrote our Andrea Pirlo book, which is our, our best selling book by a considerable distance. We need to talk about Alciato. We'll talk about him a bit later in depth, but. I guess both of you can, can maybe just reference the, the, the genius of, of Alciato. I think the success of the Andrea Pirlo autobiography was down to a
0: combination of factors, one of which was definitely timing, um, and it came out at a time when Andrea Pirlo had this mysterious call about him, especially within UK football fans. But also it was the storytelling, and that was all down to Alciato, um, who's an Italian journalist with uh, a lot of experience and great contacts but i think having worked now on two of his titles we can agree that he also has a fantastic way of reading his subject connecting with that voice and um distilling the best kind of stories and storytelling from that person's life right
2: I totally agree, and I think, you know, we were discussing it earlier that the the capturing the voice is so key and it's so easy sometimes with ghost-written material, you know, it's almost a kind of vague third-party voice that maybe belongs more to the ghost than the individual, but, you know, having worked on both these projects now, the voice that he captured for Shevchenko was so entirely distinct to the one he captured for Pirlo. But there's such an obvious authenticity to it. You know, there's certain stylistic similarities there, but you know, and certainly in terms of the depth of character that he captures. But it's so distinct, and as I say, authentic is the word that we reached for to describe it in both cases.
1: So we're going through our checklist in terms of the the elements that we need for this project to exist. The third one we've got in is a translator. Now, modesty permits Marco from speaking up here, but we can speak on your behalf. This was a huge part of the appeal for us, Neil. Um, we'd worked with, with Mark for many years and we just knew that this was, this was a huge tick.
0: So Martin and I both worked with Mark um, during our newspaper careers. Um, by the time those careers kind of transitioned to the jobs that we do now, Mark was and remains responsible for uh, any story within the Times and Sunday Times newspaper group that kind of ventures out in towards Italian sport he doesn't just speak conversational Italian, he speaks conversational Italian football. And you know, we've, all, we've already worked with him on, on numerous different projects. So yeah, I mean, it's a kind of definition of a no-brainer. And our experience working on other titles, not just translated titles, but, but any book um, that originates, we, we kind of, when we are through the other side of it, I think we look back on the amount of time we've spent editorially on those books and that becomes quite a big part of whether we look back on the projects fondly or otherwise. Yeah. And with the <laughs> manuscripts that Mark works on, even though we end up going through them time after time after time because you have to make sure everything's spot on, the first pass it does feel as though
1: you're reading something that's going to be very similar to the finished product. I mean, we'll come back to the mechanics of translation later, Mark, so kind of hold your fire on that. but. In terms of the, the kind of fourth element, it would be well, what value can we bring to it as Backpage? Obviously the promotion and marketing, the branding, all that side, side of stuff, we'll put that to the side for, for the moment. But I think in an editorial sense, you know, we have got to feel that we can add serious value to this. And when you get the level of translation that we know we were going to get, and, and we've worked with Alessandro's copy before, we were confident that we could we could add value to that.
0: Yeah, I think it's also about realising how the story is going to connect with English-speaking football fans as opposed to um, the focus being with the original text in Italian, Serie A fans who remembered Andrei from his time with Milan. So, yeah, you know, I think we were looking at elements like the section on the early years with Dino and Kiev and the, the coach Valeriy Lobanovsky is an area that English-speaking football fans would really connect with. We were interested in his account of his years with Chelsea. And the longer that things went on, I think our value really came in connecting the latter years of Andrew Shevchenko's life
1: with this account that we already had of, of his of his football career. I think at this point it's worth doing a little bit of an origin tale about the book. I wrote a LinkedIn post about three weeks ago and I referenced the fact that we'd been working in this book for two and a half years. And when I started doing a breadcrumb trail, I realised that it was actually longer than that. It's dated back to January 2020. And I'll talk you through the process, but the reason I want to do that is because I think it's important that readers realise, listeners realise, how much work goes into trying to land something like this. Although this was a book that had, most of it had been written already, this is not served up to us on a plate. It's quite a long process to try and get this over the line. So. I sent the first email regarding this book in January 2020 while the book was still being written in Italian. The publisher, the Italian publisher, got back and said, right, we're going to have some material in February 2020. Um, At that point, we obviously ran into the pandemic. My email trails told me I I chased it five times thereafter to no response. Obviously, there was a lot going on in the world. I'm not (laughs) holding anyone to account for that. But by the time it got to November 2020, the trail kind of went completely cold. At that point, we come across another really interesting Italian book called The Immortals uh, by Arrigo Sacchi and we sent an inquiry to an Italian publisher regarding The Immortals. So on the surface this looked like a completely different publishing company, completely different query and we sat back and waited for a response. Um, Lo and behold we got a response straight back but from the same person that we'd been chasing the Shevchenko book with. So as it turned out, it was one of these big publishers who had lots of different imprints, and this one person was responsible for several different email accounts and several different imprints. So they got back to us and they said, yes, let's talk about um, English language rights for the Immortals, but also the Shevchenko stuff will be ready for early 2021. So it was a kind of amazing moment um, when we ended up getting positive feedback in two titles when we actually... We're only bidding for one. April 2021, we did a deal for the Immortals. We published that in October 2021, and then in June 2021, we did a deal for Shevchenko. So it was fascinating for me to go back and do this like breadcrumb trail. Do either of you remember any of any of this process at all? No. <laughs> no.
0: <laughs> like most, like most of that sort of 2020 period around the pandemic, it's very very blurry. But what I would say is that this is a really good example of. Where we sometimes can fit into to sports publishing in a wider scale because no one else is chasing those emails, no, you know, nobody else is kind of proactively contacting the Italian publisher. And while the book is even in production development in Italian, trying to uh, progress an English translation, and then following that up with a, a similar inquiry about another. Marginal kind of non-UK focused title in The Immortals. Some, if you can imagine the autobiography of uh, a big football player who, who, who kind of straddles European football. Let's say there was never a Zlatan book and, and it was about to come out this year in 2023. That book would be represented by an agent or a, a, a global publishing house with branches you know, all across the, the, the Western world and it would be the subject of a bidding war. And even though we loved that book, we, we wouldn't get close to publishing it because we just, you know, we, we can't really outpunch uh, Penguin or Bloomsbury on that scale. But when we are the only ones doing the sort of um, Colombo detective work on stuff like this, that's when we can land something and that's what happened in extraordinary circumstances this time. So we
1: get The Immortals out and then February 2022, Russia invades Ukraine and Andriy Shevchenko's life changes forever. At that point, we can't then publish the Andriy Shevchenko book in its current form because his life is intertwined with events in his homeland and it just wouldn't make sense to bring out an Andriy Shevchenko book without reference to what was going on in the Ukraine. So the book goes into cold storage and... All that we can really do is try and keep in contact with the Italian publishers and if possible, Shevchenko himself. As it turned out, September 2022, Neil, you actually had the opportunity to, to make con- contact with him directly.
0: Which is probably the coincidence that, that moves this project forward, even though we've already got the rights to the book at that point. I think it would have been a long and difficult process to engage Andre with the production of that new material. So it's an extraordinary coincidence that we're working with a, an organization called Laureus, who are behind Laurius Sport for Good and the World Sports Awards. We develop a lot of, of content for those guys. One opportunity that they had coming up was an event in Warsaw. There was, uh, in the early months of the invasion, there was a flood of Ukrainian refugees moving from Ukraine into Poland. And in Warsaw, Laurius Sport for Good combined with some other NGOs, including Save the Children, had started a play therapy group specifically catered towards Ukrainian children who had been uh, affected by the invasion. Some of them had been very seriously injured. Others had lost family members. And to deal with that trauma, um, these play centers had been set up. And Laurier Sport for Good wanted to generate some content around that to promote this this story. Andrew Shevchenko is an ambassador of Laureus Sport for Good and obviously, um, possibly the famous living Ukrainian at that point. And so I attended this event with him, I interviewed him, and we had the opportunity, because nobody was leaving the, the scene until the next day, to have dinner that evening. And I was able to say, Andre, as well as speaking to you about this fantastic project, (laughs) I work for the company who have the English language rights to your autobiography so I explained the situation to him he was immediately supportive and, and enthusiastic about producing new material around the invasion and his response to the invasion. And it was really just a case then of developing that relationship because Andriy Shevchenko, as, as we've learned, is not the most gregarious of, of, of people. His, he, what he values, his currency, I think, is trust. And trust is behind his connection with Alessandro Alciato and the reason why that fantastic writer was able to get so many great stories from him and trust eventually have after meeting him two, three, four times, was central to the amount of involvement he eventually gave us in, in producing the English language version of his story.
1: I actually met Andrew officially, I guess, for the first time last week when we were down doing some publicity in London. And I could immediately tell the connection that you and Neil had with with Sheva, you know, built up over the last kind of eighteen months. So that's been a huge break for us really in this project is to, to have your developing relationship with the, with the great man. So in March March 2023, we go directly to Alessandro Alciato and f- ask him if he's willing to develop some additional material to address the Ukraine invasion. He agrees. Uh, him and Sheva spend some time together and we get a fantastic prologue um, to the book, which was absolutely essential for, for, for publication from our point of view. Maybe we
0: should just mention at this point why it's so essential. You know, the fact is, and not, not everybody listening might be aware of this, that um, Andrei Shevchenko has been involved from day one with the Ukrainian response to the invasion. He's been uh, travelling around the world, meeting not just people in the world of sport, but primarily people in the world of sport and politics, and making sure, trying to ensure that the profile of the Ukrainian cause remains uh, paramount and raising funds, organising events and that's the reason really why over and above his, his identity as a proud Ukrainian, uh,
1: that part of the story simply had to be a part of the book. Let's talk about translation. It was really interesting to us when we, we did a similar episode on The Immortals to get an insight into the translation process from Mark it shone a light on aspects of, of the book um, that I hadn't even thought about actually um, sort of wonder how the process differed this time I know the environment changed because you, you took yourself off And the, tell us a story about where you translated this book and, and what the process was like
2: well, to to rewind it one further step, maybe the, the previous two I've done with you guys, I've, I've managed to kind of intertwine it with my my, my day job, as it were, um, finding evenings and weekends to, to, to plough through chapters at a time. This one kind of coincided with a really hectic period, a couple of years on and off the pitch, as it were, <laughs> um, and it uh, just couldn't, uh, it felt like letting you get guys down massively in terms of not being able to carve out at that time, so I said... Right, I think the only coherent response left here, our solution, is to, to literally pack myself off for a week. 10 days if necessary, and just blast through it from start to finish, so uh, I went to the exotic surrounds of uh, Dumfries and Galloway, to my mother-in-law's caravan down there, uh, in June, July of this year, potentially July, said, right, I'm taking a week clear of normal day job, and I'm going to sit here from morning to night, untroubled by anything other than looking out at the sea, uh, and and get this thing done, and I think, you know, i just mentioned to you before we started this, that I've never felt uh, in such a kind of flow state with work before that, you know, that it just... it seemed to come careering through that you know i'd set myself maybe five six chapters a day and, and certain timelines and just kind of blasted through those right from the start so i think what normally was going to take a week I uh, ended up in four days, and hopefully not too clang-a-ridden on, on a first draft. It, it felt, having sort of a process that sort of built up in my head for, for a couple of years, thinking, you know, I, just, I need to get through this and get it done, when I actually got to it, it was immensely pleasurable. And I have to say, from a translation point of view, actually uh, distinctly more straightforward than either of the other two, just a real clean style of writing, consistency. None of the sort of, um, I I know we would mentioned this in the Saki one, that that there are a lot of dialectal terms and local language thrown in there that left me with a a lot of queries as I went along that I had to go back to the original editor or the, the editor of the original Italian text to say, look, what exactly does that mean? you don't want to be misrepresenting things and, and, and as know, Andrea Pirlo there was a lot of footnotes in that where he would kind of go off often at length about sort of specific incidents that didn't make the main text but that he felt were important contextually which you know would perhaps have been elements of those were assumed knowledge for the Italian audience but we then had to spell that out for the English one if it was a You know, a serie of something that had happened there and uh, that wouldn't have necessarily captured headlines here. But there was none of that with Shevchenko. It was, um, you know, as straightforward, solid prose that was, um, that felt really kind of digestible and easy to package up. You know, again, with Piola, there was sometimes maybe trying to condense things a little bit because, you know, sentences became unwieldy and. You know, lots of uh, Italian uh, naturally is a language that gives itself over to a lot of sub clauses and endless sentences. Again, I felt this one was a lot tighter, there, there wasn't as much of that at all. So it, it actually became a very enjoyable process.
1: I wonder if that's a reflection on Cheva's on personality, that he's, mm. a, he's a bit more finely drawn, maybe, yeah. than, than, than yeah. these other characters.
2: It didn't feel kind of whimsical in any sort of If It was kind of, you know, fairly direct and, you know, this is how I saw it, this is how I felt. You know, there was no. Lack of warmth or personality to that, but it was just expressed in a very kind of queer and concise way, I felt, and maybe not quite the sort of light and shade that you'd see with those other characters. But as I say, a really enjoyable thing to do.
0: Yeah, I think that speaks to the subject of the book. I Mm. think that that is immediately recognizable if you ever meet Andrew Shevchenko, and I also think that it talks to his relationship with Alciato, Alciato's mm. skill in bringing out that voice, yes. and Shevchenko's trust in him to do just that in fact. When we met uh, Andrea last week to do some work around the media promotion of the book, we asked him about that relationship, and here's what Andrea Shevchenko had to say about Alessandro Alciato. I, I know him for such a long time. When he wrote the book, and, uh, he really tried to understand everything about him. you know. It's not just story what you tell him, it's just even the relationship what you create with him that you give him a day about your personality that he could deliver in the books. Because some people can tell the story. I mean, it's important to understand it. What the people represent inside, you know. Yeah. I I wrote that book just about because I had a very good relationship with him. Yeah. And then he like we need to uh, write right. the book. Yeah. And then I just trust
1: him. So just coming off the back of of Andy's words there, I think the big takeaway for me is that this wasn't a case of I'm writing my book. Let's hire a ghostwriter and get the job done he seemed to be saying that this was a reflection of his the relationship they'd had together for, for many, many years and it just naturally extended into the process of writing a book.
0: I think so. It doesn't get forward from square one without that, um, without that level of trust and it's because they've probably spoken to each other on mic and, and off the record and as friends hundreds of times over the intervening years that um, the book didn't even
1: happen in the first place. I mean, just in terms of the editing process, I think it's worth just spending a few moments on that. I've already mentioned about how the level of translation made this editorial job so much easier. Yeah, I think from an editorial point of view, the process was actually relatively straightforward. All that really needed to happen was a slight paring back of some of the imagery. Um, sometimes they would alight on a really good image and then follow up with another one or two but there was always one brilliant stunning image in there so all that really needed to happen was to pay it back and to let this one phrase this one image speak for itself and it became a very straightforward process Mike do you think that's something to do
2: with the Italian language? I think so as I said Previously, the, the it is quite an elaborate language. The going for you know, it's never knowingly undersold in terms, of, <laughs> and, and 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 writers all the professional writers but that would, don't tend to be exactly the same. That you know, it, something that might struck us, strike us as labouring a point is is quite natural in that in the language, but it, it does need you know to sound natural in English. Yeah, that tightening of it is required. So yeah, I think I can see where that would have come from.
0: One of the interviews that Andrew did to promote the book was with Gary Lineker, So I've just dropped a the name there, I'll pick it up. Um, and Gary had like, clearly read the book from cover to cover before speaking to, to Andriy Zchenko. and if you find yourself um, in the weeks that follow after listening to this podcast, reading the book, and you blink and you finished it, you know, you have maybe sat down for two days and suddenly you're through the whole mm. thing. I think one of the reasons is um, a great device that Alessandro uses, which is to end one chapter on a little uptick and then take it at the start of the next chapter. You're into a different subject matter, but you have this little tale from the previous chapter and it almost makes it impossible to stop reading. Um, Just something that I picked up from his style that I love
1: and I'm not sure why everybody doesn't just copy that. (laughs) So let's just talk briefly about the cover. I think from the off, Neil, you were quite clear that this should be a kind of bold representation of ukraine yeah i just think it's such a huge part of his identity at this
0: point compared to when the book first came out in italian and obviously we're covering that with the new material the new introduction at the start of the book but if you're walking past it in waterstones or clicking on the page on amazon you don't necessarily engage with that new content you don't necessarily open the cover if you see a yellow and blue book cover um, then you do make that connection between this Ballon d'Or winning footballer from the early 2000s the representation of him that you may have seen more recently which is of this sort of quasi-statesman uh figure who's been involved in his uh, his nation's cause
1: yeah i think the cover was designed by cookie gara who is the same designer who designed the pierlo cover the black and white cover i think it's really impactful the yellow writing with Sheva's name at the bottom of the cover really sticks out but she also put the yellow on the spine and on the back which we weren't actually expecting. That's what Cookie does, she just kind of sprinkles a little bit of magic dust on our mediocre ideas and makes them come alive. It's incredible when you get a, a, a deck through from Cookie, she sends you so many
0: ideas, and there's, there's always ones there that, that, yeah, like you said, just elevate and improve on whatever starting point we might have had. We'll give Cookie a shout out in the show notes this episode. I think that,
2: a point on the cover image as well, that I think it, it captures so perfectly that Neil's phrase about the statesman like quality but there's just a haunting about his eyes in that photo as well, that you just keep coming back to, it really draws you in uh, and I think it captured both, both sides of them quite perfectly.
0: Martin, you mentioned at the top of this episode that one of the ways that we know that we can add value to projects like this is getting the word out and publicising the book. Um, do you know what your or our uh, sort of
1: top priorities were going
0: into that phase?
1: Yeah, I mean it's interesting we were chatting about this beforehand but we weren't sure whether to even mention the fact that we do a huge mail out promotional copies um, that we post out ourselves by the way we don't have a team that, that does this we stuff envelopes and send them ourselves we must have sent 150 to 200 books out which is probably the biggest mail out we've ever done Mark I was just talking to you beforehand and you were mentioning a journalist friend of ours John McGarry who's a fantastic football writer with the Daily Mail and you said you saw him football stadium last week and he was in the press room kind of waving around his copy, is that it was, right?
2: Yes, and uh, highly commending the translation of must add <laughs> <laughs>
1: Well that's what we're after, you know, it's it's getting books in people's hands, that's what it's all about We're not saying that, it's not a quid pro quo, we don't say we send you this book so you have to jump onto Twitter or Instagram or Facebook And tell everybody about it and write a review on it, it's not about that It's about getting books in people's hands so that they can appreciate it and if they feel moved to spread the word a little bit That's a big part of our philosophy is getting books in people's hands Word of mouth wins, word of mouth beats Mm. everything else when it comes to
0: books and you know whichever um, means of publicity we're we going to go down that's the angle is is person to person you telling your best mate or you telling your, your cousin that they should be reading this book that's what works
1: just finally I think we should reflect on a brilliant day we had last week down in London promoting the book with Andre we, we kind of thought long and hard about how we should use the access that we had with him he is actually permanently based in the UK but he's not here very much because he travels so much so he said look can we squeeze everything into a day and you know we can do as much stuff as you want to do within that day so what we didn't want to do is completely fill up every second of the day we wanted to try and focus on quality not quantity so do you want to pick it up from here Neil because you, you had this idea of trying to get him together with, with, with Gary, Gary Onika
0: yeah well, as I'm sure most of you are aware Gary Lincoln now is is probably the single most influential figure in in football broadcasting in the UK, not only is he the main guy on Match of the Day BBC, he uh, he runs Goal Hanger podcasts and Goal Hanger Films, um, and recently launched The Rest Is Football, which is instantly at the top of the sports podcast charts, um, usually alongside Alan Shearer and Mika Richards. But when we approached them, and they instantly were super enthusiastic about getting Andre on. It was just gonna be a head-to-head interview between the two of them. Two guys who had a lot in common. Um, Andre, when he was, uh, let me work this out, 10 years old, maybe nine, was uh, watching the 1986 Mexico World Cup when Gary was top scorer, uh, and playing in his position, of course, kind of one of his, his heroes growing up. And he said as much when the two of them met at Gary's place in London before recording the interview. And they just connected. There's something about sports person to sports person, athlete to athlete interaction, that just operates in an atmosphere that even the greatest sports journalist, the greatest interviewer cannot access. They just don't have membership to that club. And that really came across. They were both super relaxed in each other's company. They could talk about goal scoring. They could talk about winning in Cheva's case and almost winning in Gary's case, the Ballon d'Or. And they had one uh,
1: shared experience in
0: particular that really surprised both of us.
1: Yeah, so the, the, the shared experience Neil refers to is the fact that both Andrew Shevchenko and Gary Lineker have been present for heart operations. I still remember the day the Mark texted me as he was translating it and says, you'll not believe it, Sheva has just scrubbed in for a heart transplant operation. <laughs> From Sheva's point of view, this was a way for him to connect to the experience Of his father who underwent a transplant operation and he always wanted to feel in a more visceral way what that experience is like and the surgeon who operated on his father called him one night and says do you fancy coming along to the hospital to observe a heart transplant operation at which point Sheva jumped in his car and sped over to the hospital but amazingly during the interview Gary Lineker actually revealed that he had also observed a heart operation It wasn't a heart transplant operation but it was one of the first things that Sheva said to us after the interview when we were standing outside Gary's house, he said, I can't believe that Gary also observed a heart operation and it became a point of connection between the
0: two of them. It really did. Both fathers of four boys as well. Um, Who knows, maybe that was the start of a beautiful friendship. And the same day, um, Shevash sat down with Michael Cox, wonderful journalist for The Athletic, um, zonal marking on social media and uh, and in print. That was for a feature that The Athletic run, um, whereby a journalist sits with a footballer and looks back at some of their finest uh, moments on tape. Usually it's goal scorers and talking about their great goals, how they did it, how they scored their technique, their memories of certain moments. And Andriy Shevchenko just came alive when he was talking about those goals. It was fantastic to watch. And in my opinion, the piece in The Athletic uh, that Michael produced off the back of it is a really interesting,
1: insightful um, read and account of 10 of Sheva's best goals. I think it was really important to have something in the publicity schedule that that buzzed Andre that he he would really look forward to and be animated by, and I think having spent 95 minutes on tape with with Gary although he really enjoyed it if we had put him in another conventional interview scenario where, where somebody was just walking through his life story, I think that might have been tough for him, you know, English is not his first language, and I think his energy would have dipped, but the fact that that Michael was such a pro, he had these brilliant videos of of Sheva's goals and Sheva came alive didn't he, he was was gesticulating, his hands were everywhere, he was pointing things out and uh, at one kind of quite a comical moment where Michael said to him, look, you know, I'll show you this goal, Inzaghi picks the ball up in midfield and plays the ball through to you and Sheva said, no, 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 that's, that's not Inzaghi, you know, it can't be Inzaghi, obviously referring to the fact that Inzaghi was playing so deep. And then he kind of peered at the screen and he said, no, no, it is Zaggy. Like, he couldn't believe that Inzaghi had actually dropped deep to pick the ball up. But he loved it, I think it's about being in tune with,
0: with the people that you're working with. And fundamentally, it's about treating the talent well. Which is why we're recording this immediately after feeding Mark Palmer a fine lunch at this
1: Italian restaurant. Always look after your talent. That's a nice note to end on. My Life, My Football by Andrew Shevchenko is available in paperback and ebook everywhere. I hope that gives you a nice behind the scenes look at how the book came together. Thanks for listening. See you next time.